Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and today we are going round two with Jay Evans, principal trombonist of the Alabama Symphony Orchestra. Uh, I think it was back in, was it May when we did the other one? I thought it was June. But. Was it June? I can't, I can't remember. But we did a episode together, an interview together, mm-hmm. and it was at his house, and I had not as good a mics, and we were kind of, it was a very MacGyver type setup. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, it just was, it was a good interview, but Jay thought he should do it again. I've upgraded significantly since then. And so um, I'm very appreciative of the fact that he wants to come back and try to do, uh, give even more good information and all that stuff for everybody to, to hear. And um, so thank you again, yeah. Jay, for coming back and doing this again. My pleasure. It's fun to come over here to your neck of the woods and uh, yeah. try not to get lost. <laughs> yeah, I like live. I did. I'm kind of secluded back here in the uh, the old preserve. Yeah. So, anyway, um, you just got back from the Tetons, right? I did. Yeah. yeah. How long are you out there at the Tetons? Well, this summer was six weeks, uh, which is the most ever. Wow, that's me. like the whole. That's eight weeks long total. It's right? a seven week. Total. So you're almost there the whole time. Almost there the whole time. Yeah, and uh, when it, when it's all total at the end, I was gone about two months because the drive is out out there is is about three days yeah, each way. Yeah. So, but it was great. Um, I'm very lucky to, to do it every year. When did you and, start playing? Uh, out there was about 14 years ago and just got a, an email from a friend who was uh, one of the trombone players, Roger Oyster. Mm. Um, and uh, he said, you got summer plans? And I said, as a matter of fact, I can clear my schedule. I think come out there, play a week <laughs> or two. Uh, <laughs> were you here? You, you weren't here yet, were you? Yes, I was, yeah. It would have been like your first or second year though, right? Mm, my, my, I think it was 05, so I, I'd been here a few years, four, oh, okay. four or five years. And, uh, and so the bass remote player um, out there was Steve Norell, who was a former teacher of mine. Yeah. And um, between the two of them, they, they thought I'd be an uh, adequate choice to come out and fill in. And uh, so once I got out there, it just, uh, it was fantastic and... Um, there's no uh, there's no trick to getting into that festival, really, from what I hear. Um, people just end up getting lucky. And, yeah. and uh, you know, some people send resumes and, um, and some people just wait for the phone to ring. And I guess that's what I had. But I think for you, 14 years ago when Roger called you, um, I'm sure he called you because you're not just a great trombone player, but you probably had a good rapport with him, I suppose. Oh yeah, sure. We, we, we worked together in uh, the Grant Park Orchestra years before, and uh, we we just uh, bumped into each other along the way. And, yeah, um, but that's kind of how that, I've been doing some series on freelancing and stuff, you know, and mm-hmm. I think that's oftentimes how a, a freelancing situation can go and that that's more the norm in the music world rather than the orchestral world where we do an audition and, mm-hmm. Like, even if you don't know anybody in the orchestra, you still have a shot to win the job on that particular day. But oftentimes, outside of this little niche we have, um, know who you know can, and, and how, what kind of rapport you have with people. And if people know you as a nice person or a good person to work with, oftentimes can be a bigger um, indicator of whether you're going to 
get asked to do stuff than how you play your instrument. Oh, absolutely. You know, chemistry is huge. And, and when you play with people and, and things lock in, you know, personally, as well as the playing aspect, it's huge and and that's who you want to play with so i mean I've, i'm i'm lucky and there are a lot of players who are easy to work with and get along with but i just felt like i was at the right place in the right time and a lot of different things i've done and uh in fact i was going to talk more about that later just how just just kind of following you know your path and just being open to opportunities you know, can lead to things that you never yeah. expect. This is a big theme of the previous interview we did. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't want it to, I want to try to have it feel okay. as fresh as possible. Okay. I don't know. How to, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, but I, I, I'm just so curious about the Tetons because it's such an interesting group to me because you have, you know, it's a summer thing. So people go to enjoy. I know that it's one, Jackson Hole is one of the most beautiful places on the planet, pretty much, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, the, the iconic... Uh, mountains there, uh, the whole area, the, the national parks. Um, you know, it's it's truly a, a special place, and the the festival itself has just um, has been such a popular destination for lovers of music out there. Especially in the support it gets, has grown, and just the colleagues that are, that are there. It's it's and the music. Donald Runnicles is a fantastic music director. Um, the opportunities to do chamber music, which I had this summer as well, like usually do. Mm -hmm. um, they ask suggestions at the end of the festival for us. And we always kind of, well, I think we all kind of chime in with what we'd like to play. And sure. Not probably as in the orchestral part of it, but we do big works. Uh, the summer we did the Rite of Spring and I was lucky enough to play the bass trumpet part, um, which was kind of a, kind of a, uh, a challenge this year because during the week we'd also done a uh, recording of uh, some Gabrielli music, um, which uh, one of the pieces was a quartet that uh, Michael Mulcahy had, had uh, brought, and I had to read tenor uh, actually treble clef um, down an octave for that, and then I went into orchestra rehearsal. He couldn't and, have made it for any other clef. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't know <laughs> which parts he had, but it was a challenge. But you know, um, we had to rehearse and we rehearsed a lot in between rehearsals with the orchestra. So I'm sitting here going back and forth from bass trumpet, um, reading uh, E flat, uh, treble clef parts with the fourth trumpet that were combined parts. Right, right. And so my brain, my brain was working on overdrive, especially since Mick wanted to rehearse every break. And uh, so, but the recording uh, with the, excuse me, the concert came off really well. Good. It's going to be uh, on um, a performance today, NPR. Oh, uh, cool. Coming up very soon. That's so cool. Yeah. That's such yeah. a cool opportunity. And yeah. that you, I mean, us in the Alabama Symphony Orchestra, for those who don't know, we don't work in the summers. We don't even get paid right. in the summers. Right. And so, honestly, it's kind of nice in, in a lot of ways, you know, because sure. you, when the season comes around, you feel relatively fresh. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You're not, you know, the, the grind of a season can take its yeah. toll. And so, Obviously, yeah. having an opportunity like the Tetons is pretty amazing oh, yeah. to have. But in some ways, having that time off is great too. But to have those kinds of opportunities where you're recording and playing with great people, that's one of the things I wanted to touch on too is ask mm -hmm. Kana, you have so many great players from all sorts of orchestras, principal mm -hmm. players, section players from right. yeah, all ranges of orchestras. And I've heard that orchestra and it seems like it sounds really great. Um, 
And I'm just curious what the vibe is amongst the musicians. I mean, you have so many different potential types of personalities, but it seems like the vi- the the information I get is everyone really seems to work really well together and just gets along, which oh, I think is very cool. It's definitely a suspension of reality from our daily lives, our daily orchestra jobs, because we're all out there just so excited to be there and just to see each other and re, uh, you know, renew, reconnect with each other. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, it is, there is some work involved. You know, there is a committee, we have meetings and, and there are issues to take care of at times, but we have quite a bit of free time and, um, you know, we're able to enjoy the nature. And that's and, probably part of the draw too, right? That oh, free absolutely. time so you can go and hike a 14 or something like that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So it's good to have family and friends come out and visit too. Yeah. So, but sometimes it can be hard and you know, I, I'm ready to come home. I'm usually ready to come home and just relax. Um, so yeah, I feel revitalized. What kind of stuff did you play? What kind of pieces in the, in the full orchestra? This year? Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, well, let's see. We did, uh, we started off Carmina. Yeah, you said you did right. You already covered that yeah. one too. Yeah, we right did the right. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see, we did Beethoven Five. Um, we did some Pops concerts, um, some family concerts. Um, let's see, Mahler Four, I did not play on. Um, but um, gosh, what else did we do? Gosh, well, over the years we've done, you know, Mahler symphonies and uh, some Bruckner and, you know, Strauss and things that I love to do yeah. that we maybe don't get as much opportunity to do here. Sure, sure. That's a, for you, a, a really nice part of it, I'm sure. Absolutely. Playing some of the great stuff. Yeah. I just think it's such a cool opportunity and, and I, I see pictures and I, and I hear yeah. videos and, and everything and it just looks like such a cool thing and I um, appreciate you trying to put me there with you, you know what I mean? <laughs> and and uh, see what it was like because sure. um, well, I think, like you said, these opportunities, these sort of how you, um, I'm sure when you first met Roger Oyster, you weren't thinking this guy's going to get me into this opportunity someday, you know what I mean? And oftentimes... Sometimes yeah. maybe the people you least expect can probably yeah. provide you with some of the best oh, opportunities. Yeah. And that's just kind of how it works out. I don't know if you want right. to speak some more about, um, like you were talking about, we can move into um, your idea of your path and mm-hmm. opportunities that arise for you that you may not have seen and just kind of how you go. I don't know if you want to start with uh, you know, your freelancing time in New York or even before that in, uh, in um, Texas. Oh, gosh. Well, let's see. Um, well, I, I also should mention that, you know, two of the, and I wanted to also mention this about some of your previous podcasts, um, listening to Barbara's recently, mm-hmm. uh, Barbara Butler and and knowing her and uh, and Charlie Geyer, they also do the, the Titans and uh, I've known them for 20 years plus playing like with them every year. And But I didn't know so many things about yeah. her past that you shared with yeah, I mean, with you. it's a long interview, obviously, but I really wanted, I know there's so many people who are so curious, what's the secret, right? What's the secret to their success and how is how are Barbara and Charlie so successful? And I did do an interview with Charlie, but the audio got corrupted. Yeah. So I have to do a, a different one at a different time. But that one was incredible as well, right? But I just wanted to try to paint a picture that the reason Barbara is successful is because of like the mentality she has that she's carried for so long. And it's a similar thing that we we were just talking about with you that 
she just worked hard. She's a good per, you know what I mean? She, mm-hmm. She's a great person to be around. And then opportunities came. She did well in those opportunities. It led to other opportunities. And in her particular case, right. a lot of us, once her students started doing well, um, I added it up. She has a board with all of her students that have won jobs. Uh-huh. Uh, and the number of students, so Alabama, it says two, you know me and Barwise. Um, and so it's just the number of auditions they've won. And I counted it up. And on that board, it's uh, like 125. Wow. Right. And they've been teaching, they've said, for almost 40 years, which, yeah. if we do our math, is a little over three auditions per year for mm. 40 years mm-hmm. that they have, their students have won. Have won. On <laughs> average. Isn't that a crazy <laughs> figure? That is crazy. That's just put to, to put that in perspective, that kind of yeah. consistency. I mean, maybe it's like not three every single year, right? Maybe it's a bunch here and. Who knows if there were some dead years? But yeah, on average, three per year is incredible. Yeah. And you know, they have their names attract students who want to study mm-hmm. with them, so they do get a good, uh, a yeah. good pool. But but still, but even yeah, that would have. Yeah, it's just it's unbelievable to me. And to get kind of a look, a little window into why that poss- why that might be, you know, mm-hmm. I think is very cool. And I think to sh- to sort of paint her as a human being, right. as who she. I mean, I texted her and. And I said, I've gotten comments from people that are that say, "Oh, I feel like I really know her now." And she uh-huh. said, "I do too." She said, "Ha ha, <laughs> yeah, right." You know, because <laughs> she's you know she's very humble, right? Uh, exactly. She was so chill about it. Yeah, and I talked. Uh, I mean, we worked together this summer. In fact, I moved up to principal in one concert where she was playing principal, and I told her that I understood that, that you were. I had just interviewed her and I, I looked forward and she was just very kind of sheepish about it. Yeah. You know, it was like, well, and she doesn't do that kind of thing often. So, <laughs> yeah. and as of right now, I don't really release the numbers, but as of right now, it's been listened to like 2,200 times okay. since eight, since uh, August 1st. Yeah. That's ridiculous it's for me nice. and what my podcast is. That's, you know, the numbers yeah. are pretty amazing, but you know, her reputation precedes her. And sure. so I was really happy not only to provide a resource for people to hear, mm-hmm. but one that kind of tried to, like I said, to paint the whole picture. I try to do that with mm-hmm. all the interviews, but for her, you know, she's just got such a storied career that mm-hmm. it kind of just paints itself. You know what I mean? Just yeah. ask her, what do you think about stuff? And uh-huh. you just get gold, you know what I mean? So, yeah. 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 And one thing she said was uh, about performing and how much she always, loves to perform still, you know, and she thought she was going to still pursue that until quite a bit later when she auditioned for Cleveland and all that. But um, one thing she said was how music makes her feel so alive. And I was thinking about that and that's exactly what it is for me too. That's why I love to play. Yeah, I asked her that question, do you feel joy on every single concert? Because, and I'm so glad I asked that question because it's a real thing, right? You play a job concerts day in and day out or week in and week out rather. And it can become a bit of a grind, right? Right. And I asked her that expecting her to say, well, maybe not every one of them, but instead she just, I love what she said was, I just take responsibility for how I feel, you know, like, I look for things mm-hmm. to find joy in in every concert. And I was like, mm-hmm. I got to be more like that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because it is. Sometimes you just get in the grind, you know, or I got to right. play this kid's show again, you know, whatever right. whatever we might feel for whatever reason. But to know we are in control of how we feel and to start looking for uh-huh. all of the, like you said, there's so much beauty in the stuff that we're doing and the music that we're playing. I think that there's yeah. a lot to be thankful for. And when, she's, when she was talking about that and how sometimes you don't, 
feel so good physically or, or I don't know, mentally or whatever. And if you just use it as a chance to, to rise up to, to, uh, to still perform at the level that, you know, you know, you're supposed to perform at the challenge of that is, yeah. is, uh, is, is the, the thing. Yeah. And you just, you start to realize that's why she is who she is, right? Mm-hmm. She's just constantly looking for challenges to overcome. And I do a lot of watching of YouTube videos of mm-hmm. well, you know, people that are successful. And you start to, that's I think a common theme. I don't know. We should go here. I'm curious what you think about this, but it just mm-hmm. seems like people who are successful are constantly looking for challenges to overcome, as if it's yeah. that's a habit of theirs, yeah. right? Yeah. Not so much that they're that's how they are, but they know that being disciplined in that way will lead them to get where they go. I don't know if you sure. have experience with that or where you may well, have developed some habits through some some discipline where you thought to yourself, I need to be more this way. And then you became disciplined and now you've seen the long-term benefit of that. Have you had experiences in that? Well, um, talking about discipline, um, I do experience that with, with a lot of different things, not just playing the instrument, but I'm always looking to grow as a player and I'm always looking to grow as a physical person too. Like so, and that really relates to the music that I'm doing. So I'm always looking for for new strategies to become more efficient. Maybe when I practice, uh, when I work out, uh, to apply to the different sports that I'm always learning and learning new things, challenge myself that way physically. Uh, so yeah, it, it applies to, to everything that I do and, and just Playing the trombone is just one of those things. Um, yeah, I've experienced, I mean, I'm basically I'm writing a book about it right now. Kathleen and I are writing a book mm-hmm. about practice and stuff, but it came from my knowledge that I've accrued from powerlifting and how they progress mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. What kinds of things has uh, a deep passion and love for learning about and, and, and doing like the act of running? What kinds of things mm-hmm. has that taught you about being an instrumentalist. Oh, tremendous amount. I, I could go on and on about it, but well, that's why we're here. Yeah, okay, I just try to organize my thoughts. That's but, all good. Well, that's one thing. It organizes. It organizes my schedule, my my training schedule. Um, kind of like practicing. You have to figure out when you're going to do what. Um, I have to think about diet. Um, I sleep. That's a huge thing for yeah. me. Um, and I think that kind, especially sleep. I think can have a huge carryover in an, playing an instrument the same yeah. exact way in right. terms of focus and maybe if you feel beat uh, up during a week or something like that. I mean, these are right. muscles just like the rest of the muscles on our body. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and not only sleep, but recovery is what I'm, I'm still experimenting with in my training. I've done a number of races like uh, marathons and, and ultra marathons and short races. And now I'm, I'm learning about uh, two new sports that uh, I never really did too much. And now first is swimming. I've just started learning how to swim. And I'm realizing, uh, and the other one's biking, which I used to bike, you know, yeah. but to train as a bike. So when you say learning to swim, I'm assuming you could swim before you started mm, quote, learning about it. I could swim a very short distance. Yeah, like you could go to a pool to and myself. not drown, right? Right. Well, also you're like side. seven feet tall, so you could just stand <laughs> anywhere, but yeah. So what do you mean learning to swim? Learning the technique um, and trying to to train the muscles. And how are you learning? What do you do? Did you have a coach or did you go to YouTube? That's a good question. 
my uh, my stepson who lives in Jackson Hole um, is a swim is a swimmer and a swim coach, and uh, he got a job at the rec center there in Jackson um, after uh, coming out with us during the summers. And uh, anyway, this summer he gave me some equipment, some fins, and um, some some paddles for my hands and some flotation thing, and taught me the the correct strokes. Mm. And uh, you know, I've known Connor for a long time, and years ago he had he had told me how to place my hand back behind my ear and come around and and you know do this with the hand, and then you turn and twist. And I said, "So how come you're not um, having me do it that way now?" And he said, "Well, things have changed in the swimming world. Um, there's a different way to." To, they've they've come up with these new techniques. So interesting. It was very interesting. Yeah. To me. Wow. And uh, so okay. Wow. That's pretty interesting. So I started doing that, and sure, sure enough, it it helps. It just seems more natural with how I'm you know keeping the elbows up and and everything. But I can still I can not use my legs correctly. So I've been working on that now, keeping them straight, you know, and without going actually backwards, which I still do when, I, <laughs> when I'm not using my arms. Yeah. And it's not supposed to work. Anyway, so it's a new thing that's challenged me. And I feel fatigue like I haven't felt before yeah. in a different way. I, I think it's so awesome to, to do something like this, right? We as mm-hmm. people to give ourselves um, things that are difficult, things yeah. we can grow in. And I feel exactly. physical activity is such a great one because oftentimes you can see the progress, right? So it becomes more motivating as opposed to an instrument. Sometimes it's harder to see the progress or maybe you want to get into writing. It's hard to see Uh, the progress. Are you you talking about the progress you see as a weightlifter when you see yourself getting bigger possibly? Sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe as like, so say bodybuilding is a great example because Mm -hmm. you're targeting specific muscles to grow. Powerlifting, you're just trying to get better at these lifts. Uh, squat bench and deadlift, which is in of itself a worthy thing. But bodybuilding is a pretty interesting thing because say you feel like, all right, my legs and my back are developed, but I can't get my chest to develop. Well, then then you're like, okay, what program am I going to use? How am I going to target the chest? And then you're you can when you can see the actual progress happening, more definition mm-hmm. or a bigger chest becomes motivating because it's you can physically see it. Mm-hmm. With swimming, I'm sure you are experiencing relatively uh, quick progress because you went from zero to something, right? So mm-hmm. whether you're better conditioned for it or you start to pick up on the technique, and that can be really motivating. And so for people who are looking for ways to challenge themselves but get motivation, I feel mm-hmm. like yeah, physical exercise can be a, a great one to start with. Right. And so the whole reason I'm doing this is because uh, there's a triathlon coming up next year, and my stepson no Connor way. is uh, he's done two Ironmans now this year. We went and saw him do one. Remind me what an Ironman is. That's you uh, uh, swim three point two. Well, that's a full Ironman. This is going to be a half Ironman, which is uh, you swim a little over a mile. Mm-hmm. You know, you uh, you bike. I think it's fifty uh, something miles, and then and then you uh, you run a half marathon. What is a regular Ironman? Three point two, three point two, seventy point something miles, and then a full marathon. That's a full Ironman. So we got to talk. You know, David Goggins, right? Have you digested any of no. his stuff? All right, we'll talk about him in a second. But, <laughs> okay, um, that just seems crazy. A yeah, little it's bit crazy, and so he. You know, the only reason he, well, not the only reason, big reason he brought it up to me was uh, that they're going to have one in Des Moines next June. And you had to sign up at a certain time, by a certain day. So we, I signed up and my nephew's also doing it. And he was motivating me to, to try this too. So uh, that's why I'm doing it. And 
Uh, we'll that's, see. A, that's cool that you're this external thing, whether it's pressure or whatever, these people encouraging you to do this thing, but mm-hmm. you're going to reap probably far more benefits than just right. like through the process of setting that goal right. and doing it, you're probably going to reap a significant amount of benefit yeah. from it and then possibly want to go further from there. Right. And I have another friend in Chicago. She's a, she's my age and she is a incredibly successful triathlete and she's been overwhelmingly supportive to me, Jerry Luzike. Yeah. So how important is that, that kind of support? And it's huge. It's a mentorship and a, and a, and a, you know, uh, just, just a supporting uh, person. And, you know, I look at, at the people in my life who, who've brought me to where I am now professionally, musically, I had other people like her, like teachers and, and, um, and colleagues who supported me yeah. through, through all those years doing what I do. Uh, one sort of consistency I hear from people who try to be sort of motivators, mm-hmm. I suppose, is they say, if you want to accomplish something, you got to get yourself into a circle of people who are like-minded so that there's no one tearing you down and everybody is building you up saying you can do this even when it's hard. Are you uh, in agreement that not only should you surround yourself with people like that, but to go even as far as to remove those toxic negative people? Or do you find you're able to succeed even within people being negative about it? I'm one of those, I think, who can succeed with negative uh, influences uh, here and there because I know that's the real world and there's always going to be naysayers. There's going to be people chipping at you and trying to knock you down, but I don't really listen to that, to that, those voices. I try to, you know, rise above those. Um, well, how do you do that? I mean, what does that mean to try to rise above it? You know, like what does that practically turn into? I think I just have a lot of confidence. I just have to nurture uh, a self-confidence in whatever I'm doing. And where does that come from? Um, you know what I mean? Like, I think confidence is a huge part of being able to put your mm-hmm. best foot forward as a human being. But right. say you're just getting into swimming or run. I mean, you have the confidence of knowing you're, you've progressed on the trombone, you've progressed mm-hmm. as a runner, you've probably progressed in other areas. So you've seen yeah. the effects of long-term discipline. So you can say, all right, I'm going to do swimming because I know I can do this. But for people yeah. who may just be starting out and trying to be more disciplined and they don't have mm-hmm. as much confidence, how do, you, how do they get motivated to stay stick with it even if they don't have the proof that it'll work? Well, that's, that's a good question. But I think it, for me, it comes from, you know, early childhood, early life where I learned success by hard work. I, I had a lot of uh, great nurturing when I was younger, different things and the successes um, as a, I guess, as a trombonist first and foremost. But, but I had a lot of nurturing from other things that I was doing. I was a, in Boy Scouts. I mean, I was... Uh, I was in other sports, tennis, soccer. Um, you know, I had a lot of team building experiences, social networking, um, where I was made to feel like, yeah, man, you're doing some good stuff. Keep going. I mean, I think it was all that, you know. Interesting. Yeah. This, I, I read the talent code recently. Yeah. And there's three parts of mastery, right? And the second part is ignition. And you start to read mm-hmm. these stories of when people developed the fire. Mm-hmm. to go for it, right? And oftentimes it's external. It's very rarely you just 
all of a sudden are that way, right? Right. Maybe, but like for you, you grew up that way. You had models, not only models mm-hmm. of examples of what it can look like to be disciplined, but then you had a support system of people. Um, but there's other people like me who have sort of fallen into some resources of people who are motivational. Mm-hmm. And then hearing that enough times has made me be like, I should try that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really cool. And that's part of the reason for this podcast is when hopefully people hear something like this and say, oh, like I can do it. Because realistically speaking, and I would like your opinion on this, I believe people can basically learn anything. You're not going to maybe be the best at everything you do, but you can learn anything. Mm -hmm. And the first step usually is just to start to pick some place and to start for you. Starting is with swimming is getting, you know, the flotation devices on uh-huh. your body and learning the strokes little by little, being uh-huh. willing to fail. I don't know if, what your thoughts are on that kind of idea. Well, absolutely. You got to be willing to fail. And I know we've talked about that. Um, and, and to actually fail and, and get back up. Um, yeah, I just, um, I think if you're just willing to put yourself out there and um, just pursue something that you have an interest in, whether, whatever it is, um, then, uh, and don't get so worried about the failing, take some risks, you know, um, I know we're speaking generally here, but, uh, it applies to every aspect of what I've been doing in my life. Just this is decisions I've made to go a certain direction to school or to move to a city. It takes a lot of, a lot of, uh, grit to, yeah. to make these decisions. Yeah. And, and so I don't know if that answers the question. Well, it does. And I remember from our previous interview, one thing I I gathered as we were kind of walking through your story, your life story, one thing I gathered was I was just struck by how um, you weren't sort of, you didn't carry anxiety, I guess, so much about you hadn't achieved some sort of goal that maybe you had decided you wanted or sometimes what happens uh, that's even more destructive is goals that you feel like other people have set for you that you have mm-hmm. to live up to. Right. And it seems like you were just doing the best you could in the circumstances that you had right. and that that has led you to the career that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that we, we should talk about this a little bit. You have not necessarily as straight of a line to the to the place that you are now as maybe even someone like I did, you know? Yeah. I graduated, I had the gig in Indianapolis, and now I have the gig mm-hmm. here. I didn't do a lot of freelancing. I don't have as yeah. much experience with that. Right. Um, but you have a story where you can encourage people that if it doesn't happen right out of the gate, it can still mm-hmm. work out for you. I don't know if you want to try to catalog some of that in the best okay. way you can. I'll try to, to do that a little more concisely than the first interview. <laughs> I kind of got off the tracks a little bit here. But um, yeah, so when I started off, you know, in... In my early years in Iowa, um, I uh, I really just loved to play the trombone, and I didn't really have any uh, expectations. I just loved to play every day, and in whatever I had coming up, band, uh, jazz bands, uh, orchestra opportunities, all state, and all of that. Um, I didn't know you could actually play for a living at that point, so I thought I would just be involved in music and maybe teach someday. So I went to college and I majored in, in trombone and uh, Morningside College in Sioux City, Iowa. And um, I had uh, enough confidence to continue an audition for a master's degree at uh, North Texas. Um, at that point, I thought, well, I'll just see 
see where that takes me. Um, that was not anywhere near where my family lived. So it was just kind of a, a big adventure to go down there. Um, had some great experiences while at North Texas. And um, I think I told the story of how I ended up going to New York after the North Texas. I can tell that again. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> Um, so I was in the, walking the halls at North Texas and uh, a gentleman came out of a door and um, asked me if I'd like to audition for his orchestra. And uh, I said, sure, I'm free. Um, <laughs> and I went in and just played a few excerpts and turns out he was Alvaro Casudo, who was the conductor, music director of the National Orchestra Association, uh, which Glenn Egner said he had played in, in New York. Gosh, uh, Glenn is... Weirdly connected, you know? <laughs> well, we're all weirdly connected. Glenn is our librarian with the yeah. orchestra. I did an interview with him a right. while back. Yeah, I just heard that recently as well. It's which, pretty crazy, isn't which it? Which is an amazing Yeah, did you know that about him? No, I didn't know right? anything just, about that. Yeah, that's, sorry to take a little pause here. When I, I, I had dinner with Glenn and he told us those stories and I was like, what? <laughs> this guy is our librarian. He comes in, he's just yeah. like, walking around whistling all over the place. You'd have no idea that he had been shot. Right. You know, or had been shot at and, and these crazy stories that he yeah. tells. And that's how he ended up in the Alabama Symphony Orchestra with us. And yeah. it just goes to show, I mean, this is an extreme case, of course, but everybody's got a story that you may not expect. Right. And uh, Glenn's got such a cool outlook on life, I feel like. I'm going to look at him completely differently right. now when I go to work. Yeah, yeah, seriously. <laughs> anyway. I did, but that's I did, one thing yeah. we had in common. I guess he had been in New York uh, after Juilliard and was in this orchestra that was like a repertoire training orchestra that yeah, played yeah. Carnegie and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so um, I took that audition, uh, audition for this, this gentleman and um, it uh, kind of took me off my trajectory of going off to get a doctorate at Eastman, uh, which is what I was going to do, and uh, moved to New York. And I played in this orchestra uh, and uh, lived in uh, New York City. Uh, I got there in 1985, the same, uh, the same year as my, uh, one of my teachers uh, arrived in New York, Joe Alessi. Mm -hmm. And um, I called him up, started studying with him and uh, Steve Norell, as I mentioned. And he was in the Met, right? Steve right, Steve, right. He's still still there. He's still there. Uh huh. I had no. I thought he was. I thought he was retired for some reason. No, he's he's yeah. He's still hanging in there. I mean, he sounds incredible when he that yeah. when he was here. I, I I'm not. I don't mean to say he. I just for some reason had it in my mind that he was retired. Yeah. That's all. No. So uh, so anyway, yeah. And he does the Tetons, you know, like we yeah. said. Um, so yeah. So I got to New York, and, and I never would have expected I, I would have ended up there. Um, it was totally unexpected and um, it was fantastic, just the freelancing there. Um, I learned so much from the friends I made and the colleagues and uh, the concerts I heard um, really had a, an influence in me. Um, but uh, yeah, and then um, from there, I uh, got involved with a lot of different things. I did some Broadway tours. Um, I should back up. I did, uh, uh, well, actually, I played at the Dallas Brass for many years, and I was based in New York and then later Chicago. Um, yeah. Um, so your career has kind of taken you, which is I think is fascinating because your career has taken you all over the place in a myriad of different styles, but mm -hmm. me being here and, and listening to you play, it's mm -hmm. also very clear that that has led you to be able to play so many different styles when we do pop shows and you have, 
you know, oh. a 16 bar solo from In a Sentimental Mood or something like oh. that. It's right, you know, it doesn't sound like a, <laughs> like a guy who's never been exposed to jazz playing before, you oh. know, or that commercial style. And oh, thank you. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's nice. And I think it's something worth considering for a lot of people that um, the path doesn't have to be straight. Right. In fact, when I went to North Texas, the why I was interested was the jazz yeah. um, education I would get. And so we have, I, I don't know, it feels prevalent. I could be, it could be because it's the world that I'm in, but it feels kind of prevalent, this idea that winning an orchestra job is the top. Right, that's mm -hmm. what we're all after. And if you don't win an orchestra job, mm -hmm. uh, then you have to settle for something different. But I think there's and Barbara's a great example of this too. You know, she didn't win that job in Cleveland, and she gave it her all. But look, like look at her career. You know, mm -hmm. look how much good she's been able to do as a teacher. Possibly more good as as a teacher in the way that she has than she might have ever been able to do as principal trumpet in Cleveland. Right. And I mean, not that Prince Mike Sachs doesn't sound amazing, and he he sounds amazing, and he teaches. I'm not saying that. I all I'm saying, right? Because somebody's gonna hear that and go, "Oh, like yeah." yeah. <laughs> but all I'm saying is that our career path can take a different turn, and what we do with that will determine whether it's successful. So it starts to come down to some character traits that we should apply to any situation. I think rather than being happy with a certain situation or not, and letting that dictate whether we're okay. Or not, and you right. seem to just be okay with where you were at. Yeah, I've always been okay, and I didn't expect anything. I just hoped that you know maybe I would get lucky. Well, and I remember you saying, "There, if there's a common theme amongst all of the experiences you had, is a big goal of yours was not to win this job or to be in this pit or to teach this many students. A common goal was just you just wanted to play the trombone." <laughs> right? And so That's basically that. Yeah, you accomplished your goal every day then. I did. You know? I woke up feeling grateful. Yeah. Uh, I've always felt grateful every every day no matter what I was doing. Yeah. Um grateful and confident and just hanging in there kind of, you know, pursuing my dream yeah. but not expecting it. Yeah, and I I have a thought that I've that has helped me a lot over the years, especially in performance, but I think it could apply anywhere, is the idea of standard versus expectation. In a performance, I have a very high standard for what I want to sound like. Mm -hmm. you, you know, I, I, it's a very high, I know exactly or pretty close to exactly what I want it to be. And if I don't play that way, I'm kind of bummed out or whatever, or I'm like, all right, I got to go back to the practice room, figure that thing out, right? That's my standard. My expectation is pretty close to zero, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't expect to be able to play at any certain level. You just want a high batting average. Yeah, exactly. But that's the standard. And the standard keeps me working, but the expectation keeps me okay. Because yeah. if your expectation is to play your very best every concert, you're just going to yeah. be unhappy all the time. Yeah. Because nobody's going to play their best. Right. And like like Barbara said, how how it's just, it's something that you get such a uh, an emotional kick from when you play. Um for me, it's the execution as well as trying to execute at this highest level and holding myself uh, at that, holding the fire to myself. Like, okay, I may have missed a note here, but I'm going to nail every note after this and the rest of the concert Yeah, you know, and stuff like that. I think that's such a cool goal. Jared Roden told me this story. Did I tell you this story last time? I don't know if we- I don't think so. It's about Bud. Uh, Jared told me a story that he went and heard, they heard, he heard Chicago when Bud was there play Bruckner or something like that. 
And Jared was Jared Roden is a bass trombone player located mm-hmm. in Indianapolis. For those that don't know, uh, he was I played with him when I was in Indianapolis, but that job is he's no longer. Uh, he was just on, on one years, and somebody else won the bass trombone job. So he's located in Indianapolis. Awesome guy. And we get to have him here. Yeah, well. yeah, it's it's a great. I, I'm very thankful for that. Uh, but he told me this story about Bud, where Bud was playing, and he missed a note. And Jared said his whole world was rocked because his hero that he thought could was infallible just made a mistake. Mm-hmm. And then he said Bud played so compellingly, I guess, for the rest of the concert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the end of the concert, Jared was doubting whether or not he heard Bud miss that note at all. <laughs> I think that's such a crazy story because it's yeah. kind of speaks to what you were saying. You may make yeah. this mistake, but then doubling down on your efforts mm-hmm. on execution and, and musical commitment, right. sometimes those can be the best performances then, the ones that we make these mistakes mm-hmm. and then it ends up being like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make up for it. And then that becomes, yeah, yeah one of the best, most yeah. committed performances we have. And then you can kind of, Kind of compare yourself to, to some of your heroes who you might hear. Miss a note here or there. Like uh, I once heard the Berlin Philharmonic in Carnegie Hall, the principal trumpet, they were doing Mahler 5 and they had the entire stage filled with, it seemed like they had double winds and brass. And uh, it was just fantastic sound where the trumpet comes in and cack three or four notes in the opening uh, call. Wow. And I thought, wait a minute, is this, in, this the Berlin Philharmonic? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, but... But that, I mean, that that's what I remember because I had this pedestal, you know, sure. that I placed those guys on. Well, and that's just unfair for us to do that, right? It is. But we, do <laughs> we don't want to be judged on that pedestal, right? right? So no. It's, yeah. No. But it's it's pretty understandable. But if I miss something, I can look back at that and think, well, he's human, I'm human. But when I think sometimes the performances where stuff like that happens, that's. Yeah almost what makes it unique, you know? That's what sure. gives it some, I mean, we don't want to have missed notes be the thing we're remembered for. Right. Uh, but I think sometimes there's a little bit of personality in that. It's not just a, you know, uh, rote, like, all right, here we go. Here's the piece as is, like a recording would be, you know? Mm-hmm. It kind of gives it some, it reminds us of the human element. Maybe that's what I'm trying to say. And that kind of gives it some more, there's a little bit more on the line, right? Because things could go, a little wrong or things could go very right and we have no idea uh, because we got to wait to see how that performance unfolds and that's kind of exciting to me yeah yeah it's very exciting you know love to love to play no matter what so you're talking about with swimming we're going to kind of back up a little bit with swimming and you uh you're doing this to continue learning that's obviously why i'm sure you got into running for like physical health reasons, but I'm sure now it's clearly turned into a passion and sort of a way of life for you in terms of how dedicated you are to doing that. Were you always this way? Did you always have an, like another thing that you were trying to learn, trying to master, or has this come around later in life? Uh, it's come around later, actually, for me. Um, I think when I was first on the road with shows, um, some opera tours out of New York and some shows there, I got into working out because, you know, being on a bus or a plane, you know, you need physical activity plus the mental strain. I mean, just, just the day in and day out doing the same show over and over. I mean, we used to try to make those shows kind of fun by pranking each other on stage <laughs> and seeing, seeing who could go the longest without emptying their spit valve, you know, and, <laughs> and winning prizes and stuff after that. But Us brass players, man. That's who we are. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And of course the shows were memorized. So we would, you know, kind of try to bring in the most uh, interesting reading material every show. And nice. um, while we were 
professional musicians <laughs> for the That's public. That's awesome. Um, Got to keep it interesting, right? Oh yeah, you do. Um, but uh, what was I saying? Um, you got into working out because you're oh on the yeah. Bus so and- I started watching other you know musicians or actors and singers in their workout routines. So that I started feeling the benefits of that, and it kept my mentally kept me mentally um, and, and physically happy. In those years when I um, settled down and got to Alabama years later, um, I uh, I just needed that physical outlet, and and so I started running because my wife was running. And then she stopped as soon as I started. That's another story. <laughs> <laughs> but, and then when I, when I got dogs, I had to run with them. And so I just started running and I never thought I would because early in life, I thought I can't run more than three miles and without being exhausted. And, and sure enough, it took a while to get over that hump, but had some, like one of my mentors in running is David Pandolfi in our mm. Alabama Symphony. Interesting. Um, I didn't know he was like, I knew obviously he's a runner, but I didn't know he was a mentor to you in that way. Well, he was, and he was he was running the first uh, half marathon I ran was the, was the Mercedes here. Mm-hmm. And he ran it as, as well. And then, um, and then a couple of others with him. Uh, and um, so I, I usually have been a lone wolf in terms of my exercise and the running. Um, some people have to run with uh, clubs and groups. Um, I've just found it more convenient to do it on my own and just keep track of my own stats. Um, but yeah, once you did the half, then of course you wanted to, well, could I do a, a full? And then these little challenges for me have kept me just motivated and feeling like I can keep the weight off because I'm about 50 pounds lighter than I used to be. Yeah. Ever since that. It's weird seeing. Old school <laughs> pictures of you. It's weird seeing old school pictures of me. I mean, I'm about yeah. the same size as I was. Just bigger. Every just things are in a different place now. <laughs> I don't have as much of a gut, you know. Yeah. And uh, more muscle. But. Yeah, and that makes you feel good. Then you look back on those pictures and you yeah, feel, you know, you've yeah. seen what you've accomplished. What's the longest race you've ever run? Well, it was a an ultra marathon, which is a 50k. I tried to run a 50 miler about a month later because I was feeling my oats and. Uh, did not finish that one. I ran about <laughs> 33 miles of that. Oh, that's what I was talking about, David Goggins. So this guy, he's just an intense guy. He had a great, I was listening to a podcast, a Joe Rogan podcast with him. It's very fascinating. You would really enjoy it, actually. Okay. This guy is just takes the intensity and dials it up to like 35, right? Okay. On a scale of one to 10, he's at 35. Mm. And he said he ran, his first long race he ever ran was 100 miles. And he had, did not train for it. The furthest he had ever run was, I think, 20 miles. Mm-hmm. And he just said, I'm just going to do it. I'm just not going to stop. And he's really trained his mind. Mind over matter. Oh, my gosh. that's He's all about that. And he set the world record for pull-up, most pull-ups in a 24-hour period with like a little over like 4,000 or something. Wow. You know? And he's it's a similar thing. And I, I mean, he is extreme. I don't even think he recommends people be like that. But the use of something like exercise to help show us that we can push past whatever uh, plateaus or limits that we think we have. Mm-hmm. And so for you, you thought, oh man, how am I ever going to run past three miles? Mm-hmm. And then you ran a 50K, you know, mm-hmm. that's, it's such a wide margin. And mm-hmm. I think this setting of small goals, I, I was, I'm, I'm headed to a question. I'm just sort of trying to frame everything before we get there. <laughs> a lot of people need community, right? Because they feel like that's what gives them right. uh, support and Motive. motivation yeah. and whatnot. But for you running alone, it sounds like setting these little goals, trying to be, you know, 
personal best every single time. It sounds like maybe that for you kept you motivated. It did. Yeah, absolutely. P- PRs, you know, like anytime you do a new race, you got a PR. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, everything you do, it's just you in life. You know, when you practice, you you practice using everything you've learned from teachers and you combine it and uh, and come up with your own approach that works for you, like with everything. So yeah, you can you get motivated with other people, but I've always been my own best teacher yeah. with the trombone too. Probably your harshest critic too, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know when it's, it sucks, you know. <laughs> I, I mean, and uh, and so I'll I'll tweak things. I won't practice as much or give myself some. That's what I'm learning as I get older too. I need a little more time to recover, mm-hmm. and I'm learning that with running as well. Sure. And uh, I'm trying to find the, that sweet spot, that Goldilocks uh, mm-hmm. amount of time that I need to be my best at a certain time in, in the future. So if there's a race three weeks away, you know, usually start your taper. Well, I tried to apply that, I think, to an audition not too long, uh, well, a few years now. <laughs> my last audition was a while back. but um, And, uh, you know, it, it helped, it helped. Yeah. I actually, I'm, you know, because we've talked about, it, I'm really into this as well, trying to program uh, musical learning and preparation in a similar way because it's just more scientific, right? right. The way runners and powerlifters and CrossFit athletes and weightlifters, the way they prepare for a meet or an event. It's just they have science on their side there's because data. there's more money in in that, right? Kathleen, yeah. Kathleen has said many times. Kathleen, my wife, Kathleen Costello, principal clarinetist of the Alabama Symphony Orchestra. For those who don't know, uh, she um, she's talked about the reason you know something like the fitness industry oftentimes will be ahead, or the tech industry is just because there's more money there, so they're going to invest and do the research there. And you, it's there's generally speaking, it's more observable as well, right? Mm-hmm. You can test things a little mm-hmm. bit differently, but they have some science on their side of progression. They're not just like, oh, it feels better to like taper, you know, yeah. this many weeks. Maybe you're going to taper more or less than another person, but the idea of a taper, there's some scientific research for mm-hmm. why that's a good idea. And so trying to apply right. some of that to what we're doing as a musician, I feel like right. has the same kind of benefit, right? You got to tweak it to make sure it works for you. Um but yeah, right. that's but like with with the uh, the training now, I just ordered a uh, a try a try watch which measures different uh, activities, and it measures your heart rate and 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 comes up with training plans and coaching for you. And and I always think, God, wouldn't it be neat if you had that for uh, like a an audition trainer uh, for your yeah <laughs> on your watch? Yeah, that would be I, yeah. And <laughs> just you know, maybe sometime in the future there will be something. But I'm I just ordered this watch and I've. I've never really watched my heart rate. I've never watched calories. I've always been an intuitive kind of athlete, mm-hmm. and uh, and same with trombone, you know. Um, but if it can get come down to data where it can make me more efficient, I'm going to start paying attention to Absolutely, that. Absolutely, yeah. Especially as I age, because I want to still get better and faster. And yeah, so stronger. that leads me. I was going to ask you about this when we talk about personal bests in running mm-hmm. or in swimming, or for me, personal bests are very easy to account for in powerlifting and lifting weights. It's just, did I lift more weight than last time? Right. Right. For you, uh, since you're trying, you said you're trying to grow as a trombone player. What does a personal best mean for you now at this stage in your playing? You know, it's not like oh, I can play a C major scale now. That's a personal best. Obviously, you have a great command of the instrument. So when you're at this stage, what does a personal best mean for you? What does progress 
for you, what kind of progress must exist for you to feel like I have set a personal best, if that's a way to describe um, it? That's, that's a good question. At this point in my career, I feel like I'm the strongest player I've ever been. And I'm, you know, I'm in my upper 50s. And uh, for me to gauge that with some kind of marker is hard because I don't give full recitals very often. I don't, you know, play a ton of strong concerts. And then, you know, with all these, many players do. I just have a feeling, I guess. I just know kind of my limits. And, and you have to develop, I think, that as a player um, and as an athlete because you risk injury if you overdo it. And uh, I know there are many stories of people who've overdone it and they developed, um, you know, dystonias and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and a lot of that was uh, unforeseen and unpredictable. And that was just from strain and overworking. And, you know, the same relates to as a, as a you know, I pulled, I started getting into yoga uh, a few years back, five years or so. Got into hot yoga, the, you know, the Vikram and, I was doing all this stuff with my body, like a pretzel. And uh, I ended up um, getting in a car and driving out west for one of my summers. And I got out to do a run and I hadn't stretched out because I'd already been stretched out and I pulled a hamstring. Well, that's one of the worst injuries because yeah. it takes forever to heal. Yeah. And I came back too soon, like a year and a half later. And I was on a trail race and within a mile, I pulled the other hamstring because I Jeez. was favoring the other side. Oh, man. So then that was even worse as a high hamstring. So, so I had to deal with that. And so I went through physical therapy and I learned a lot about how to heal like my muscles and what, you know, when you stretch and go to a certain point, don't, don't cause pain. But when, you know, when you go, come, go to that point and rep repeat it and go consistently for therapy, you really see gains quicker. Yeah. And I know I can relate that to, to, to practicing too. Um, when I like, well, for me, I, uh, I've kind of messed around with um, um, like angle and like placement of my embouchure and, and starting notes with a, a poo attack, which I never really did much um, yeah. until a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed it was really changed my embouchure and, and really fatigued me pretty quickly. So I would go to that point and come back. And I noticed by doing that over the uh, weeks and months or whatever, I can get stronger um, and feel like a million bucks some days. Yeah. Um, and there's gotta be something to that, you know? Um, I think there's, I, I, as a power lifter, when you're trying to gain strength, um, it is it is many sets of few repetitions, right? Right. And so okay. it's it's heavier, right? but you're not trying to go to failure. And what you're trying to do is you, you maybe sets of three with 85% of what you of what you can do, okay. your maximum, right? And then you do like eight sets of that. And so you're getting the repetitions in over a line, you're resting a fair amount so you can get strength back, you know? Mm -hmm. And what this does is it teaches you the neurological pathway. It gets mm -hmm. your nervous system feeling mm -hmm. what heavyweight feels like so it can mm -hmm. start to learn okay. that stimulus. That's what it is. And so I think it's the same thing on the instrument. More, you know, high intensity playing mm -hmm. with lots of rest. Mm -hmm. I think that's what that comes from, right? And then, of course, you can add in some more endurance type things where you're not playing towards the top of your register and you're just trying to play for a while. But yeah, I'm starting to really believe in frequency over volume, right? Mm -hmm. Practicing, um, and I did not used to believe this. When mm -hmm. I was younger, I thought I'm going to play for four hours, four times a week. And you maybe were taught that. 
that you or should, maybe I just could do that. I never, I never had a reason to think outside of that, right? I got you. But then, as I maybe got busier, I started to realize, and I, so I may basically, as I got busier, my practicing changed, and then I saw a benefit. Right. And I was like, oh, I should have been doing this all along. So maybe two hours. Well, I don't know. I think for me, optimal is ninety minutes, five times a week, six times a week. Mm-hmm. 90 minutes. That sounds about right. Yeah, that's about yeah. optimal. I can get all I need minutes. to get done in do you 90. Do, oh, in one setting, 90 minutes? Yeah. Well, okay. I don't know. Oh, throughout the day. Okay. 90 minutes. Yeah, I like 45 and then 45. Yeah, yeah. That's a little bit of rest. Yeah. 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 I think that's, I mean, however you structure it. Uh, and sometimes I don't even get 90, and sometimes I get 60. You know what I mean? But I'm I'm constantly trying to ask the question now what is the least amount of work I can do for the maximum gain? Right. Because I don't like to practice oh. that much. It's exactly that's the if you can become a more economical uh, in your practicing and uh, efficient, yeah. that's the key to longevity, I think. You know, because I want to keep playing for quite a while, yeah, yeah. And, and I, obviously, at the level that you are, you're not yeah. going to try to let that slide yeah. for anything, yeah. I've told my wife, you know, you're you're my gauge if if I if you if you feel like I'm slipping, you know, and I'm not getting upset about it when you come to concerts. <laughs> You're the one to let me know. Let me know because <laughs> my colleagues may not, you know, yeah, and I right. don't want to let them down. That's that's the worst. I can't imagine letting down my colleagues. You well, know? you could never let me down. Well, I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> but, uh, you hear a lot of me behind you. So. Oh, no, it's, uh, I, I just think this conversation <laughs> is really important to have, especially for people that are younger, because mm-hmm. when we can do it, we don't necessarily think about it, right? And that, and we don't think what is the best possible system. We just go, this is the system I've used and it works for me. And I think much, I'm learning a lot right now about how I, if I'm going to get busier with some of these projects that I'm doing, mm-hmm. how do I need to set my life up right now so that I can right. step into that okay. rather than I'll just wait until I'm so busy I can't figure out what to do and then start experimenting, right? Uh-huh. I think trying to set yourself up early for that time down the road will make it so it's a more seamless transition, right? Into kind of the practicing because you have to practice that way, practicing in shorter bursts because you have to practice rather than, Mm -hmm. and again, like we talked about, there's even so much benefit that can come, not only physically, but mentally, right? You get mentally fatigued after a certain point and you just can't, you can't push past that. Right. I mean, we're busy people. There's a lot going on. You've got two kids running around here too. You know, you gotta, you've got to, bank your time when you can can do it and you want to do it efficiently um, yeah because everybody's busy but so what strategies do you have for time management because i know you teach a lot obviously you have when when the work schedule is hectic obviously you got to get your practice in you're running now you're swimming you're yeah. probably have some downtime you know you got to have time with natalie like how what's your approach to time management yeah. so you can try to get all that in there well, you know, I'm kind of old school. I have a I have a calendar, you know, a paper, <laughs> and I try to to log in the calendar with my my training for what whatever kind of thing is coming up. Um, and so for this thing next June is the longest I've ever uh, the amount of time I've had to bank and look at my schedule for what training I'm going to have to do, how many miles on the bike, how many miles in the pool every every day, every other day, or whatever. Um, for me, practicing, I, I try to just uh, I try to do minimal warm up. I don't really need a lot if I've been playing every day. Did do you so you put all your goals for running and swimming? Do you write down specific yeah. goals for practicing too? Uh, I don't write down specific for practicing. 
but you uh, just like have a block of time you're going to dedicate yeah. towards that. And I know when I can do it. And I usually try to do it before lessons. <clears throat> um, I have backed off on my lesson teaching this year so I can train more for this uh, Ironman. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, because I just know I'm going to I'm gonna be um, tired and I want to give my best, you know, to yeah. these, the kids. So these things we've been talking about in terms of discipline and progress and, you know, time management, organization, all of these things I think are really good prerequisites for any, to be successful in anything, right? Not necessarily just music or running. So mm-hmm. let's say you are uh, somehow unable to play the trombone, whether it's like an injury or whatever, you were unable to do it. Can you imagine any other um, career path you might would take, you know, that, do you know what I'm saying? Like, do you think you could see yourself doing something different and applying these things that would ultimately probably, you know, lead you to being successful in that? Are there any other interests you have that you feel like you could provide value for? You know, you might surprise you, but if that happened tomorrow, it wouldn't bother me at all because I love music. I love life. You know, I, I can still enjoy what I enjoy right now. Yeah. Um, so would, would you do something, try to still do something music related or? I might, or I might not. I would yeah. just, I, I could get a job doing something that challenged me, I think. Um, do you have any idea what that could possibly? Maybe challenge me creatively. Yeah. Um, or maybe even mundane. I, I can I can do a lot of different things, I think. And, yeah. And be happy. So um, I'm getting the, I'm getting the picture that, you could be okay anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I I would be okay every anywhere. Yeah. I didn't think I would be here. I didn't think I'd I didn't think I'd be back with my wife. We dated in high school. She was in high school and and uh we dated and broke up and got back together years later. I, I never expected that. Yeah. I know there's other unexpected uh hidden amazing opportunities still coming in life. Yeah. Um I can volunteer maybe at an art museum. I can come and volunteer at the uh, Alabama Symphony um, ushers or something. Yeah, I mean, I would do that. I would, of course, I'd miss the challenge of playing and, and performing at, at a high level. I'm sure you could fill that void, that challenge void somewhere else. Though. I could. I know yeah. I could. Um, I think that's a, I don't know, I, I'm just learning more and more that that's a recipe for being generally just content. Mm-hmm. Not saying I have to do one thing, but I would like to be, you know, challenged Maybe in a creative way, so right. I'm I'm problem solving or something. Mm-hmm. As long as I'm flexing these these kinds of muscles, no matter what mm-hmm. I'm doing, I'll be happy or content. I feel like is a better word. That's what you want to. I think to. I think you want to measure yourself up, uh, uh, towards you know that ability to being able to do that. If something happens, an insurance policy, I guess you know. If, sure. So yeah, you never know, but. Um, but sure, music is my life. It's been everything I've always done. And uh, it's taken me around the world, you know. Um, it's taken me to places I never thought I would go. So, yeah, it's crazy but, how it can... Yeah. This this field we're in, I find fascinating. Again, the more that mm-hmm. I think about it in maybe like a business sense, we read these articles about being, you got to be willing to fail. Uh, you have, you know, you got to be willing to just put yourself out there. Um, you know, be willing for opportunities to come your way. Like these are things that when other people read these articles for business, they're like, okay, I got to do this. I got to do this. Mm -hmm. But so many of these things are built into what we do. Failure above all others. Mm -hmm. Because if an orchestral job is what you want, you're going to fail 
mm-hmm. far more times. Than you. I have been in the finals maybe four times of like the 22 auditions I've taken, mm-hmm. maybe four, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's not a great track record for most people, but I got a job, I'm doing the thing, you know what I mean? And um, I think that uh, that's an important part is it's built in, you know? So whether you're failing uh, in an audition or maybe a performance doesn't go as well as you want it to, you know, then there's progression built in, like self-learning, things like that. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like music is such an interesting career path to take because a lot of the lessons, yeah, we've we've discussed, you can apply to a lot of other areas sure. of, st- of study and be successful. Yeah, I mean, I've been disappointed a million times in my life um, from failure, from not achieving something or winning an audition. Uh, you know, I've been... I've tried to not be jealous of other people because I always take stock of what I have, but uh, I've learned those things. It's hardened me over the years so mm-hmm. that I can apply those 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 techniques of moving on, I would think, uh, into other areas. This idea, sorry, I, I was stuck on a word that you said, and I would like to expand upon it. Um, the idea of, har- you said it hardened you over the years. Um, I also think that's yeah. one benefit that I've received from the gym yeah. is this idea of voluntary hardship. I am voluntarily putting myself through something that I most of the time don't want to do, honestly. Right. Maybe I want to do work up to the heavy set, but I certainly don't always want to do the work afterwards. I'm sure for you, if you're scheduled to run 25 or 18 miles or something, that's going to take you a couple hours. I'm sure you're not always like, yeah, let's get it done, you know? <laughs> so you were thinking of physically hardening. <laughs> yeah, well, but I think that that, that kind of hardship uh, that we can put ourselves through can give us practice, basically. For sure. For, um, for like real actual hardships to kind of flex that muscle before we get there. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I think a lot of guys talk about this and I think sometimes yeah. music can be that way too. Experiencing failure so much over and over can harden us over time and you know make us more resistant to wanting to quit. If you can, yeah. obviously if you take that road, it makes you more resistant to wanting to quit. Then we can apply it to running. We can apply it to swimming. We can apply it to powerlifting. We can apply it to podcasting. We can apply it to write. You know what I mean? All these different things yeah. that, the, that music can teach us, I think is very valuable, even if you don't end up oh. being a professional musician. Of course. I mean, they say no pain, no gain um, is uh, sort of uh, something, you, you know, I've been told is the way to achieve is to, to deal with the pain. And in runners, a lot of times you'll, you'll have a lot of pain. And, you know, you don't want to go too pain, too much past um, debilitating pain or you'll damage yourself. But you have to deal with a certain level of pain to get results and uh, learn to deal with that. Find, find a way to, like I'll tell my brain, oh, it's just my brain telling me because um, it's trying to protect me. But I, I really have a lot more potential to, to go forward. And I always yeah. do. And even if at the end of a race, um, I know, I know the way I feel like near the end is, is awful maybe. But I know as soon as I stop running, it's going to go away. Right. And it always does. Yeah. And then I've got the benefits of all of that that I went through. And I think the same can be applied to everything else. Yeah. And I like the idea too. I've I've mentioned it already, but I really like the idea that seeing yourself being disciplined and getting that reward then allows you to, I guess, have more faith in the process of being disciplined when you don't know what the outcome is going to be. You've seen the outcome be positive. You've ran this race, you've lifted this weight, or in in a musical sense, you have performed this piece and Mm -hmm. it went well. 
and you were disciplined about it, you're like, oh, that went well. And then the next time you start the process over again, because that's really what it is. Every time you run a race, I'm sure to an extent you feel like I'm going to start over. Maybe not like physically start over, but mentally you're like, all right, I, like I'm starting at the beginning and I got to do this discipline process again. Mm-hmm. But I think that yeah. can be very purifying in my mind. It can be. It is. It's You hit the reset, you know, and, and start again and take what you learned from the, the previous one and apply it. Yeah. And go on. Well, uh, you've talked a, a lot about music being such a big part of your life and a big love of yours. Um, just having a goal of playing the trombone, being able to uh, accomplish that every day, I feel like puts you in a good mind frame. Um, why else do you think music is relevant to um, not just you, but to our culture, to uh, our community? You know, what things do you think music can provide for us that... Um, that are unique, you know, maybe classical music specifically, you know, obviously music pro- plays a huge role in many people's lives, but sometimes classical music gets shunned as not mine, right? I don't understand mm-hmm. it. Or um, it's, you know, we get like a highbrow uh, reputation, right? right. Got to be wearing a tux to be able to enjoy it or something like that. Why do you <laughs> think it's relatable to almost anybody? Um, well, it's relatable because everybody has emotions. Everybody feels, you know, and uh, kind of like what Barbara was talking about with uh, how we can share those emotional experiences when we're together and like movies and soundtracks and everything. Um, wholeheartedly agree with that, that notion, but it's such a personal thing, um, music and how it makes everybody feel. You know, I may feel something completely different than you when we hear a piece of music. Um, for me, I feel compassion, I think, for people who haven't experienced uh, what it's like to hear um, an incredible Mahler symphony and to be moved to tears for who knows why, um, because they think that they, that they don't have anything, you know, in common with classical music and they haven't really been to concerts. I feel sorry for them because everybody's got those, you know, those feelings potentially that, that they can bring out and make them feel more like a human being. And uh, so for me, when I hear things, it brings up memories. It, it, it spurs my imagination. Um, you know, I'm always singing along with what I'm playing. Um, you know, I'm sure people around me in, in our orchestra can hear me <laughs> humming along, you know, I'm always, <laughs> um, I just can't help it. And I, and I saw, I feel like I'm getting more sentimental as I get older too. I, I start shedding tears more than I thought I ever would, <laughs> not just in concerts, but in, you know, movies and I don't know. Um, yeah. It's mellowing me out. Getting somehow. tender in your old age. I don't, I don't know, but I feel bad. <laughs> I feel bad all this hate in the world and, and, you know, all of this, you know, conflict that we have these days that we can't just, uh, just kind of everybody just take a step back to what's, what do you need? How do you need to nurture yourself as a human being? Yeah. And it's not, you know, it's just something that is there if you give it a chance and if people would just experience these, these things, um, to take a chance, take a a chance on a concert. Yeah. Um, Well, I was talking to Kathleen yesterday. Um, She had sort of had this epiphany basically on a number of things. And one of the things she said was, she feels like it's just like eating a food, right? For a, for or the over twenty one crowd, which I can't imagine anyone. Maybe there's some under twenty ones. A don't new know. food. Or- well, there's new food, but beer is a great example, right? Nobody mm. ever likes their first beer, 
Yeah. Nobody, right? You drink <laughs> right. it and you're like, what is this? And you could probably remember when you had it. Yeah, absolutely. I remember very vividly my very first beer. I was at my friend, I'm going to tell you the story because okay. it's kind of funny to me. I was at my friend Brandon's house and his dad had had like some people over the previous day and they had some beer left over in the fridge. And we were, I don't know, we were in high school, I think. And uh, there the beer was left in the fridge and his parents were at home and we were like, okay, <laughs> we're going to steal this beer. We're going to drink it, you know? Uh-huh. And so we went out into the backyard and we yeah. opened up the beer and immediately it smelled, it was like a Miller Lite, right? Uh-huh. And immediately it smelled horrible. Uh-huh. And so we took a sip of it and we were both like, this is disgusting, <laughs> you know, because it's disgusting. Beer, especially like Miller Lite, you know, it's not going to be the tastiest thing. And then we were like, what do we do with this? What do we do? We can't just like pour it out. So we went into the bathroom and poured it down the sink because we thought that that was where the least amount of trace evidence would be mm-hmm. found. Nobody likes their first beer. Right. But through repeated exposure to beer, people can learn to appreciate it, right? It's an, <laughs> right. an acquired taste, as it were. Yeah. And I'm not saying classical music is necessarily an acquired taste, but yeah. say someone does show up. Say someone does come one time and gives it a chance and decides they don't like it. I mean, who knows if the second time you heard it might be a completely different experience. I think so her point was showing up, giving it a chance, you know, a new food that you may not like. Maybe you can acquire this taste through multiple exposures Mm -hmm. to it. So uh, it might even be worth, yeah, changing the give it a chance to give it multiple chances, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just our our challenge is to get them in, in the door, you know, as a as a professional musician and member of this organization and uh, try to invite people into this world that we, uh, we cherish and uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, try to give them that first beer. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Yeah. I remember my first beer. Well, let's hear it. Let's hear the story. <laughs> I was just a Budweiser. Uh, uh, I hated it, but uh, I, I liked how it made me feel afterwards. I remember, yeah, I remember my friends drinking things like Budweiser and, yeah. and they were like, this is good. And I was like, I'm kind of jealous, you uh-huh. know, kind of jealous that my friends were enjoying this thing that I wanted to enjoy, but I just thought it'd it was be a grown horrible. Up. Well, I mean, you were older by then, I'm sure, right? Yeah. High school or college? That beer, that very first beer, I was in high school. But then when I ended up enjoying, I actually remember the very first beer I tasted that I enjoyed. I remember that very well. It was in Canada where the drinking age is lower. Yeah. So I feel like that had something to do with it. You know, yeah. just be, like it was legal, <laughs> right. you know, tasted better because yeah. it was legal, but. Well, I have, a, I have a story that kind of relates to that. My first cigarette, which is terrible because I was about six years old. What? My parents were smoking at the time because it was sort of the, what people did back in the uh, late sixties and, they left a pack of cigarettes out and they took off. And I said, hey, I wonder what that is. So I opened it up, picked it up, lit it up. Uh, started coughing, put it out immediately. Yeah. Right? Well, when my dad and mom came back, they could smell the smoke. And so they asked me, did you do that? And I said, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't believe me. So he made me like smoke the rest of it. And Whoa. I bet that taught, it, taught you. It I, taught me a lesson yeah. for sure. That's such an old school way of doing it too. Yeah. Like, I don't think I would be allowed or, you know, I don't think we'd be allowed to do that anymore. I got arrested. Yeah, you know. Child abuse. But back then it's like, yeah, that's a different time, oh, man. Yeah. yeah but, uh, that's yeah. awesome, man. That's I hate it on a dark note like that. No. <laughs> well, I appreciate your time and coming over. And Sure, uh, Ryan. It's a pleasure. And um, I look forward. We're just, this is recorded uh, August 26th. So we're about to start the season up again. And, yeah. Uh, I've missed playing with you guys, and I look forward to uh, to this season. Miss playing with you. 
Um, Jay's on Facebook, right? You can find him on Facebook. Or yeah, the yeah. last time I didn't have my uh, have my one? handles for my other social media. Oh, let's do it. So you time. can. So Jay as Jay Evans on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, and then on Instagram is J A Y E V N Z. J A Y E V N Z. Yeah, and on Twitter it's uh, at J underscore Jevons forty one. J underscore Jevons 41. Yeah. All right. And I'm rarely on it. So So if you want to get a hold of Jay in any way to be like, man, that's a great story of how you smoked cigarettes when you were six. (laughs) Um, That is where you can do that. If you need to get a hold of me, uh, I uh, have a website, that's not spit.com on Facebook and Instagram at that's not spit. Hang on just a second. If you need to, uh, well, not if you need to get in touch with me, I just did that. What I would rather say is uh, if you enjoyed this episode or you've enjoyed other ones, uh, a rating and a review on iTunes would be pretty sweet. I guess this iTunes is dead now. I guess they're getting rid of iTunes, so I don't know what the review thing is going to be, but uh, it's always nice to read nice reviews and stuff like that. And um, obviously share it with other people if you've enjoyed it. Next, I'd like to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering these episodes. It makes a huge difference in how good they sound. And uh, it's nice to have someone double check in your work to make sure you're going to put out something that doesn't have errors and mistakes in it. And ultimately, in the end, I would really like to thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time. 